Calvin. <laughs> Take two, folks. <laughs> this time I forgot to turn on my microphone. <laughs> First, the first take was um, Alvin and the Chipmunks, and I'm hoping that this time I'm not. I'm waiting for some people to file into the chat room um, because I <laughs> – what was that Chipmunk thing? <laughs> that was my bad. Um, I, have a, I have a default setting <laughs> – that uses another microphone, which is not the one I use normally for these uh, news and views. So I end up <laughs> sounding like Alvin and the Chipmunks. So anyway, I'm sorry about that, folks. It is news and views from the Nefarium on Thursday, December 3rd, 2020. Um, as you know, I didn't do one last week. That was Thanksgiving Day in the United States. So I apologize. I, I missed a couple before that for being rather spotty on the news and views from the Nefarium. It's old age, folks. Uh, don't forget, let me do the house cleaning first, and then we'll get to today's story, because today's story is interesting, particularly in connection to the 2020 American presidential fraudulent <laughs> election. <laughs> but anyway, um, first of all, we do have a vid chat tomorrow, Friday, at 6.30 U.S. Central Time. Please, I've already got questions and comments coming in. Please get your questions and comments in by the time I go to bed tonight, and I don't know when that will be, <laughs> okay? Um, usually I, I try and hit the sack on, on uh, Thursday nights before vid chats around midnight. So if your comments or questions are not in by the time I hit the hay, whenever that is, uh, they will be archived until the next vid chat. Now, speaking of which, the next vid chat after tomorrow will be a week from tomorrow. That will be the one at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. That will be our December vid chats. I'm front-loading vid chats this month, folks, because of the holidays. Uh, I'll be taking uh, from Christmas to New Year's Eve off completely. There will be no news and views. There will be no blogs. Uh this old man needs a rest. <laughs> but, but anyway, so that's why I'm front-loading the vid chats in December. All right, that's the first house cleaning issue. The second house cleaning issue is a commenter on one of my previous videos where I was talking about mitochondrial RNA pointed out that I made a whopper <laughs> of a boo-boo. <laughs> And he's right. It's it's messenger RNA, not mitochondrial. And I don't know why I've got that stuck in my gray-haired head. <laughs> it is messenger RNA, not mitochondrial RNA. So to the commenter who pointed that out, thank you. And thank you for doing it politely. <laughs> Rather than you stupid old hat from South Dakota. Well, I know I'm an old hat from South Dakota. I don't need to be reminded. But anyway, uh, so please remember, it's messenger RNA, not mitochondrial RNA. I don't know why I got it confused. I read this article two or three years ago about mitochondrial RNA or mitochondrial DNA and messenger RNA and how one affects the other. And <laughs> so it got scrambled 
in the tangle in my noodle. All right. That's the um, housekeeping. Now, I want to go back to something that I've talked about that's an emerging geopolitical thing that is being called by those in the business the quad and that I've been calling the quadruple entente. Um, the political people are calling it the quad because it involves four countries, India, Australia, Japan, and the United States, more or less agreeing that China's the number one problem in the Asia-Pacific region. I've been calling it the quadruple entente because I, I want to use that term to stress that it's not a formal alliance. It's an understanding that China's the problem. So they're doing everything except signing treaties of formal alliance, okay? They're coming right up to that point, but stopping just short. Now, there's an interesting article over at uh, Near East News by Vladimir Terahov, and the article does have a, a very um, Russian slant, let's put it that way, on um, the evil Western powers and India and Japan doing these nasty things like ganging up on poor little communist China. <laughs> But nonetheless, the article is very interesting because it is about the recent visit of Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison to Japan, where he met personally with the new incoming Japanese Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga. Okay, so I want to read some paragraphs from this, and then I want to comment on what I think may be happening with all of this and drawing some connections. The article's title, On the Visit Made by the Australian Prime Minister to Japan, and I'm going to read just a few paragraphs here from this, picking them out. Uh, the visit was for them to sign the Reciprocal Access Agreement, okay, otherwise known as the RAA. And this visit took place on November 17th. Now, I'm starting in the second paragraph here. Before dwelling briefly on what both of these documents, the press release document and the agreement itself, contain, it is worth noting that the meeting between the prime ministers took place in a person-to-person -person format and not remotely, as has been observed for most similar intergovernmental events over the year that is drawing to an end. Apparently, not all items planned for discussion on the agenda could be entrusted to global communications networks, and the health of top officials from both the countries had to be exposed to a certain amount of risk, unquote. Obviously referring to COVID, and it is true, they did meet personally, and there's even a picture of them without masks, bumping elbows rather than shaking hands, <clears throat> all right? So, you know, by all means, do whatever you can, Mr. Globaloney, to reinforce the COVID-19 plans pandemic. Anyway, to continue, quote, that is strange. It seems that people are more, more senior in the bureaucratic hierarchy should set an example of exercising discipline to their subordinates and not vice versa, unquote. Well, no, Mr. Terrahoff, 
You obviously don't live in California where Governor Gavin Newsom is making everybody else stay away from restaurants while he goes to Hawaii and has a big party in one. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, now continuing in this, in this article, and now we're getting to the meat and potatoes, the, the reciprocal access agreement itself. Quote, Returning to the content of the latest Japanese-Australian joint statement, it is worth reiterating that the future reciprocal access agreement took center stage in that meeting. Clauses 8 and 9 in the first document state that adopting the second one means the state of special strategic partnership and bilateral relations established in July of 2014 rises to a new level. In this part, in part, this is because the reciprocal access agreement will become a reliable basis for fulfilling the obligations borne by both countries to maintain peace and stability in the Indo-Pacific region, as well as further increase cooperation between them, unquote. Now, what that just said was under certain conditions, this reciprocal access agreement goes into effect. And those conditions are spelled out in the document. It's a strategic uh, understanding of allowing each other's military access to facilities. Very similar, in some respects, to the agreement that we just saw India and Japan ink. All right. And notice that this document refers to the Indo-Pacific region. In other words, this is a security arrangement that is not only between Australia and Japan vis-a-vis -vis the Pacific under certain strategic conditions, but also the Indian Ocean. So in other words, very clear here, folks, the target is China, all right? Now to continue, quote, Clause 10 defines the various areas where the reciprocal access agreement can be applied in practice. Clause 11 expresses the intention to undertake efforts to finalize it and ratify it as soon as possible. From the other uh, positions outlined in the joint statement, Clause 2 called attention to itself by confirming the intention of the parties to, quote, develop coordination, unquote, for various activities in a triangular political and strategic configuration with U.S. participation. Satisfaction is also expressed with the results of the second meeting that took place earlier in Tokyo between the foreign ministers in the countries that take part in the so-called quad, which is formed by the United States, Japan, Australia, and India, unquote. And now I'm skipping to the very, uh, uh, I'm skipping one paragraph to two more paragraphs, and then I'm going to go to the very end. Yet post-war specifics inherent in how Japan is positioned in the international arena which still persists to a certain extent, as well as some circumstances and recent events in the Indo-Pacific region, make it possible to be skeptical about the prospect of forming a full-fledged military and political alliance <coughs> Pardon me. that takes on an anti-Chinese orientation. Specifically, that same Japanese-Australian one. In other words, folks, this is not yet a formal military alliance. And what the agreement basically allows is both sides' militaries to be based in the other's country. And in effect, 
What that really means is Australian troops can be based in Japan just like American ones. All right. That's in effect what it means. However, there's a catch. We're going to get to it very shortly. We should point out, first of all, the most important of these events, which was the signing of an agreement establishing the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership. In other words, if you're going to have a military alliance, there's going to be an economic alliance accompanying it. And this, folks, is where I think the rubber meets the road. By the same token, this laid the foundation for forming the first, pardon me, the world's largest free trade zone, with the participation of 10 ASEAN member countries, as well as the People's uh, Republic of China, Japan, the Republic of Korea, Australia, and New Zealand. This step was accomplished two days before Scott Morrison's trip to Tokyo. Skipping all the way to the end. To sum up, it is worth noting that the anti-Chinese fuss in recent times is increasingly creating an impression that seems absurd especially against the background of catastrophic global problems, since for its initiators, apparently, and for some reason, the process is more important than the result. Therefore, the author believes that sooner or later, just during a respite from all this political noise, a catchword by one character in an old film will resound, they played in vain, as it were. In other words, this guy thinks all of this is smoke and mirrors and nothing will come of it. Now, I've got to light my anti-COVID stick here because I think I think much more is going on here than meets the eye. This quadruple entente, in my opinion, is going to be around, like it or not, for some years until there's a change in the Chinese Communist Party's leadership and aggression in the Pacific region. Now, that doesn't mean that this quadruple entente is going to be itself aggressive and bellicose, and here's why. What you're seeing going on with the quadruple entente is intimately connected, in my opinion, to the American elections and to what, to me, looks objectively, by any measure, a massive effort to create fraudulent votes in the swing states and steal the election from President Trump. Now, the reason I'm saying that is by any measure that you can investigate online currently, it does appear that the companies involved in manufacturing votes or switching votes were companies connected to Venezuela and to China. So in other words, you have an effort to create an election result putting Mr. Biden into office. And here's why that's significant geopolitically. Because if you've been following the stories about the Biden family's involvement in the Ukraine and in China, what it appears to me 
is that they have been involved in an election to put an asset or at least an agent of influence in the White House. Now, should that happen, what happens to the quad? In other words, if Mr. Biden should actually be inaugurated in the White House on January 20th, what does that do to this quad? The quad is not going to change. What I think it will do is it will put immense pressure on India and Japan in particular, since they are the major players other than the United States in this quad with Australia. What it will do is it will put major pressure on India and Japan to beef up their own militaries and defenses. In other words, it might be that the presence of a Biden administration might lead to the eventual and complete rearmament of Japan and a, a ratcheted up pace of armaments in India. Okay, that might be one possible result. Should Trump win, you're going to see this quad go forward as it currently looks to be shaping up. Okay, so in other words, what I'm suggesting here is there are geopolitical reasons behind why this election is so hotly contested in the United States. And it is, folks. Um, and I, I'm suggesting that there are deep geopolitical actors as well as deep state actors behind both uh, parties and their vision of the future of the world, which are very, very different. So in other words, this quad, like it or not, and depending on circumstances, is going to influence the development of geopolitics in the Indo-Pacific region and therefore also, please note, according to this article, of the economies in that region, particularly the smaller but large economies like Australia, like Indonesia, and so on and so forth, because you're going to see them, in my opinion, depending on what happens in the next few weeks, you're going to see those countries jumping on board in this quad idea. Particularly, I would estimate, uh, if you have a Biden uh, victory. So there's lots going on here geopolitically with this visit, and I think more than meets the eye, because I'm willing to bet you uh, that one of those discussions that the two prime ministers, Suga and Morrison, had in Tokyo was, well, what do we do if all of a sudden we get a Biden administration that gets real friendly with China and China begins to press more firmly in the South China Sea and so on? Well, I can bet you your bottom dollar that discussion was had and that they're not talking about what they said. So lots to watch here, folks, with this quad and with this election. Don't forget, get your questions and comments in um, today. We do have the vid chat tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. U.S. Central Time. I'll be in there early, as I always am, for a little pre-chat where we talk about things uh, more informally. And then a week from tomorrow, again, we have the last vid chat of 2020, 
on uh, December E. It'll be December 11th. So um, please, for all of you newbies, remember if you're wanting to be a part of the vid chat and send comments and questions, email me at my contact button on the website. Please put vid chat questions and comments all in capitals in the subject header. Uh, so that I'll be sure and see it. Remember, I get hundreds of emails. So that that's the way I spot them when I'm scrolling through looking for vid chat questions. Uh, and please remember, no more than three printed pages uh, of questions and comments on my end. You may think that's three pages on your end, and it may be four pages on my end. So give yourself a little leeway there. All right. That's it. Oh, wow. We're talking about meteors in the chat room. Interesting. Shannon Brown says, God bless you, Dr. Farrell from North County, San Diego. We appreciate you here in the land of nuts. <laughs> I think, I think you mean, um, <laughs> I think you mean nutty fornia, as I like to call it. Anyway, um, thank you all in the chat room. I'm sorry I never pay much attention to what's going on in, in the chat room. Yeah, it would make sense Russia's tired of China as well, especially since China recently claimed Vladivostok. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that'll, that'll sour right, relations with Russia real, real fast. Shannon Brown says, we call it Hellifornia. Uh, I know. Well... Listen, we've got we've got a crazy mayor and governor almost as crazy as Gavin Grusom out in out in Nutifornia or Hellifornia, as you like to call it. Anyway, um, Thomas Anderson says, talk about the theological stuff you posted. I don't remember posting theological stuff recently. Um, you'd have to you'd have to give me more. Um, more info than that. I don't. I don't remember the notes for the tome. Uh, again, notes for the tome. If you're talking about, if you're talking, well, God history and dialectic is a four-volume uh, theological. Uh, it was my last academic theological hurrah. <laughs> And uh, it's on Lulu, but I don't know what you want me to say. I just, I don't talk about, you know, people can't tell me, just talk about something. I have to, I have to have a question or a prompt. What is it that you want me to talk about specifically? New theological, got an email from you a few days ago about new theological stuff for sale. Uh, no, the only thing, the only thing, uh, Mr. Anderson, that I, have published um, in terms of theology are uh, an introduction to St. Photius, um, a translation of St. Mas uh, Maximus the Confessor, a disputation with Pyrrhus, um, my doctoral dissertation, Free Choice in St. Maximus Confessor, and then um, the four-volume God, History, and Dialectic, which is a you know big, thick 
set of uh, books. The, the, the big set of books is on Lulu. Uh, the other books um, I think might still be in print with Holy Cross Seminary Press or St. Jeacon Seminary Press. Uh, the doctoral dissertation I think is out of print, been out of print for many years. Anyway, am I familiar with Nigel Kerner? No. There's lots of people I'm not familiar with. Um, Uncle Slavo says the NSDAP is what? The lawful elected government of Germany. Unfortunately, true. Unfortunately, true. Anyway, that will do it, folks. Don't forget, vid chat tomorrow. Get your questions, comments in the next vid chat. Uh, I consider myself, yes, to be orthodox. Uh, most of the orthodox think no. There are reasons on both sides. But um, certainly it's, it's a fundamental part of my thinking. Um, President Farrell, no thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no way <laughs> two arrows <laughs> don't want the job <laughs> don't want the job anyway i'll see you folks uh that are members tomorrow in the vid chat patristics lecture notes um golly you guys are not letting me get out of here um i still have my um Patristics course notes, my lecture notes. Um, God, history, and dialectic kind of summarize them um, in a kind of Cliff Notes version in that first volume. Um, but the Patristics lecture notes are rather, they, they'd be another, you know, multi-volume set if I were to uh, publish those. I might someday. I've still got copies of them somewhere around here. <laughs> but anyway, that, oh boy. No, I no, I don't think Daniel List wants to be president either. <laughs> anyway, all right, folks. Thanks. Uh, thanks, every, everybody, for uh, the commentary and the support and so on and so forth. We'll see you on the flip side. Bye-bye and God bless.